scripture reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 through 10. Hear now. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The New Testament lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 2 through 11. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Last week in Matthew chapter 3, we caught our first glimpse of John the Baptist, the firebrand preacher of repentance to whom the masses were flocking for baptism. John was preparing the way for the Messiah, warning of the coming fiery judgment that would separate wheat from chaff and throw away any tree not bearing good fruit. And his prophetic message resonated. John's entourage of disciples grew with his renown. But when we meet John in today's text from Matthew chapter 11, things have deteriorated for him. For one thing, John is now in prison, paying the price for preaching against Herod, taking his brother's wife as his own. Meanwhile, John's vision of a fiery Messiah has flamed out. It has yet to materialize. Jesus has not come with axe and winnowing fork in hand, but with the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, wherein he declared that his disciples must love their enemies, not throw them into the fire. And the deeds of power that Jesus has performed so far in the Gospel of Matthew have been somewhat muted, occurring off the beaten path, not in the capital city of Jerusalem, but in the back country of Galilee. Jesus has healed the sick, yes, but often behind closed doors. And he has yet to take out any of the oppressive structures of the Roman Empire that John was so eager to see collapse. The Pharisees still controlled the religious consensus. The Sadducees still control the temple. And Herod still sits on the throne. Jesus has been out and about, but the status quo still remains intact. So we can hardly blame John for the skeptical question he sends Jesus' way. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for another? It's a question that betrays a degree of disappointment. Jesus hasn't exactly been who John expected him to be, at least not yet. And it all makes John wonder if Jesus will prove to be the all-sufficient savior of his messianic longings, or if he'd be better off looking elsewhere. Lofty messianic expectations are not unique to John the Baptist. Perhaps we hold them too. After all, the texts we read from the Old Testament throughout Advent speak of a messianic age to come with an idyllic vision. Isaiah describes wolves and lambs living together, children enjoying harmless playdates with serpents. In today's text, the prophet describes the desert as though it were a botanic garden, and he predicts danger-free transits across a world free of all human ailments and disease. It's a lot to long for, but it's fitting and right to hold such a grandiose vision of the kingdom of God by faith. After all, is anything too difficult for the Lord? But when we expect God's providence and God's justice to shelter us from the world's pain, 
And when we imagine that we can be spared the suffering of the suffering Messiah whose cross we too must carry, well, then we're bound to have moments when our faith feels feeble. When another person is gunned down in our streets, we wonder if swords will ever be beaten into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. When our faith feels feeble. When another nation lifts up sword against another nation, while humans continue to learn war and wage war, our faith feels feeble. When a lush habitat is reduced to a desert wasteland, when a child becomes the victim of a serpent's scheming, and when lions scour the way forward, our faith in Isaiah's vision of the serene paradise to come can feel feeble. Sometimes it can even feel as though we're going backwards rather than forwards. Most people of faith, and even those of such faith as John the Baptist, will at some point feel the creeping doubt associated with disappointment that Jesus didn't quite fit our expectations. And usually that disappointment is similar in nature to that of John, right? In that we we wish Jesus would be a bit more confrontational, a bit more overt with his power, a bit more fiery. We wish Jesus would take an axe to the root of the trees of injustice and poverty and disease. We wish he'd separate the wheat from the chaff and get on with it all. We're bound to have moments when we, like John, begin to wonder if we should look for someone else in whom to place our hope. And indeed, many people in the modern world are looking for someone else to save us, to rescue us from our state of affairs. We might look to upward mobility to save us from ever feeling in need, or we might look to politicians to save us from those we blame for our lot in life, Or we might look to the endless pleasures at our fingertips to numb away our anxiety or our loneliness or our dysfunction. Life is hard, after all. We're bound to have moments when, like John, our faith feels feeble. But friends, the truth is that we cannot look for two messiahs. We cannot look for two saviors. Nor is Jesus only a partially sufficient Christ. Jesus is the all-sufficient Christ. Our Lord may have a frustratingly nebulous way of going about the business of redeeming the world. There is much we do not understand. and There are times when we might wonder how we're ever going to get from a world where wolves devour lambs to a world where the lion eats straw like the ox. Following Christ can be hard, I know. Keeping faith can be difficult sometimes. But in the end, Jesus is the only name under heaven whereby we must be saved. We cannot look for two saviors. Instead, we must look to Jesus to reveal the way in which the redemption of the world will unfold. Jesus, after all, has an answer to John's question. And it's not a rebuke 
of John's creeping doubt. Not at all. Jesus doesn't take it personally. Instead, he offers a word of assurance, a word of exhortation to strengthen John's weak hands and make firm John's feeble knees. Go and tell John what you hear and see, Jesus says. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. It is as if Jesus tells John, amazing things are happening all the time, but you don't always hear and see them. There's more going on than reaches your ear or meets your eye in Herod's prison. The kingdom is arriving. The age has dawned. I am the one who is to come. You need not look for another. From the prisons we sometimes get trapped in, it's easy to forget that Christ continues to dwell among the blind, the lame, the lepers, the deaf, the poor. We sometimes struggle to see beyond our own circumstances, beyond the bars that lock us into our finitude. What we need in such moments, according to Jesus, is to hear his words and to see his work. Go and tell John what you hear and what you see, Jesus says, as if to say, that'll rekindle your faith. That'll remind you who I am. That'll convict you again that I am the all-sufficient Savior. Friends, I would guess that for some of us today, our faith feels feeble. Some of us today may even be wondering if we should look for another. There are, after all, plenty in our world who allege to have the salvific antidote to whatever might be ailing us. What we need to strengthen our faith is to hear what Jesus says and see what Jesus does. We need to hear and see his words and work. Let me then propose two practices that can prove to be springs of water when our faith feels on thirsty ground. First, we must hear the words of Jesus. This involves simply engaging with Scripture. It sounds so basic so fundamental, but the truth is there's so much competition today for the airtime in our minds. Just think about all of the noise we hear in a given day from cable news, Netflix, podcasts, or the infinite music libraries to which we subscribe and are always at our fingertips. The silence required to hear the words of Jesus is difficult to come by. With so much attention-grabbing headlines, with the latest and greatest information always available, we may think, consciously or unconsciously, why spend time reading the small fonts and thin pages of a book 2,000 years old? Well, friends, the words of Christ still give us the lens through which to understand who we are and what we ought to do as we navigate our complicated lives in this complicated world. There is no substitute. There is no parallel for Jesus' words. And without good knowledge of his words, it's easy to feel uncertain 
about who Jesus is and what Jesus does, and subsequently, what it means to follow him. To strengthen our faith, we must hear the words of Jesus. And second, to strengthen our faith, we must see the work of Jesus and bear witness to it. We must put his words into action to see just how powerful they are. In our text today, Jesus is among the blind, the lame, the lepers, the deaf, and the poor. And if Jesus is among these folks, we cannot shut ourselves off from them and expect our faith to remain firm. But when we are the hands and feet of Christ, doing what he calls us to do, doing kingdom work in the world, we'll begin to see his salvific work breaking into the world, one little backcountry miracle at a time. Friends, it's not always easy to maintain faith. It's true. Even John the Baptist whom Jesus calls in our text the greatest person ever born. When he finds himself behind bars and his messianic hopes in question, even John wondered if Jesus was really the one who is to come, or if he should look for another. To John's feeble faith, Jesus offers his words and his deeds, the truth he speaks and the healing he brings. And in our moments of doubt, Jesus offers us the same, that we might come to know his all-sufficient grace and ultimately the abundant, everlasting life he brings. So may we take no offense at the Savior coming into the world, and may our weak hands and feeble knees be strengthened to follow him, that in hearing his words and doing his work, we might come to trust him ever more deeply. May it be so. Alleluia and thanks be to God. Amen.